Last week we spoke of God's providence, that invisible hand of God that guides and directs the events and circumstances of our lives. We saw God's incredible providence in delivering David from Saul when Saul had been pursuing David, had David surrounded, was just ready to seize him, when all of a sudden he gets a message that the Philistines were attacking the Israelites. In an incredible change of course, Saul leaves off chasing David, goes and fights the Philistines. And we talked about how unusual that was, where Saul had not been fighting the Philistines in recent days and months. And he said he would do anything to get a hold of David. And nonetheless, by God's providence, David was delivered. Well, the battle is over with the Philistines, and the first thing on Saul's mind is once again to be pursuing after David to take his life. As we think about God's invisible hand of uh, ordering the course and events of our lives, it is one thing to understand that God's providence oversees the events of our lives, that God is in control, begins with that basic premise. As we view our lives, the things that come into it aren't by mere accident or coincidence. But God is directing the events and circumstances of our lives. Well, it's one thing to know that God directs the circumstances of our lives. It's quite another to understand the purpose. Why does God bring into our lives the things that he does? I'm referring to that this morning as reading God's providence, trying to understand the circumstances that I am in and why by God's leading and direction are those circumstances in my life. What is God seeking to do? What is God accomplishing? So to answer that question, I'm going to look at three different ways in which God's providence can be read this morning, and hopefully it will help us in our daily lives, and at least give us some blueprint to think about God's sovereign working in our lives. So how do we know the way in which God is working in our lives? The theme is the importance of properly reading God's providence. The first thing I want to convey to you is that God's providence is easily misread. God's providence is easily misread. One's own selfish desires can cause us to misread the significant acts of God's providence. For example, the past misreading of providence in the life of Saul provides us with a great example. If you remember, just two weeks ago, David was going to Keilah in order to fight the Philistines that were coming to Keilah. I had mentioned that Saul was not interested in that. Uh, he was not reaching out to the Israelites in Keilah in order to deliver them. Uh, he was not concerned, but David was. And so by God's direct direction, or God even told him to go to Keilah after 
David had inquired as to whether he was to go or not. Saul hears of it. Saul hears of it. And here is his reaction to God's providential direction of David to Keilah. 1 Samuel 23, 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Saul read the situation as this is God's activity in order to give David to me, to deliver him into my hands so I can kill him. God has finally come through. God has finally fulfilled that desire. And he is actually saying that it is God's will for his life that he takes David's life. Well, that's a great misreading of providence. It is true that God had brought David to Caleb, but certainly not to deliver him into the hands of Saul. Well, this morning we want to look at how did David's men misread the providence and working of God. First, we want to note that God providentially was working in the events of the narrative. I'm going to read verses 24, 1 to 3. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Wow. What are the chances that Saul would choose to go to the bathroom in the very cave in which David is hiding? He's chasing after David. He's seeking David. He wants to take David's life, but he doesn't know where he is. But he has to stop and go to the bathroom. So he goes into the cave to do so. Unbeknownst to him that David and his men are in the innermost recesses of the cave. They can see him. He cannot see them. Wow. Wow. If that's not the working of God, to bring him into the very cave where David is. God is at work. But what is God doing? How are they to respond to this incredible circumstance that has taken place by no ingenuity of their own? This is no act of war. This is totally out of David's control. God brought Saul into the cave. Well, the men's response was that they saw the events as a clear indication that God brought Saul into the cave, demonstrating that David was free to do whatever he wanted to do to Saul. Look at verse 4. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now you can, you can 
you can search the scriptures and you will find that there is no place in the scriptures where God said that. God didn't say there will be a day, David, in which I'm going to place God, place your enemy Saul in your hands and you can do with him whatever you want. Just wait for that day. That day is coming. God did not say that. That would be a perversion of his word. No. What the men are saying is, it's obvious, David. It's obvious. This is like God saying to you. You couldn't have any more direct, direction from God. This is like God's voice. <laughs> Here he is. Do with Saul whatever you want to do. It's clear. Clear. This even included the idea that some had actually said to God, that said to David that God had intended for David to kill Saul. That's revealed in verse 24 when David said, I believe it's 24, David says that uh, God delivered you in my hands, but that is not what was intended. David's response. David decided to graciously spare the life of Saul, verse 4. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy in your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That would have been his kingly robe, his royal garment. As uh, Ralph Davis says in his commentary, I quote, David's action follows. He cuts off part of the edge of Saul's robe. The tearing of a robe probably signified the forfeiture of the kingdom of Saul. Hence David states his claim to the kingdom that day in the cave when he removed a piece from Saul's robe. David's act may have been a symbolic declaration of revolt. Only such heavenly symbolism explains David's remorse, David's heart struck. So here is David, sparing the life of Saul, but taking a piece of his robe and saying, symbolically, the kingdom is going to be mine. Application. We can misread the providence of God due to our own sinful desires. David's men wanted to see David king. Here was the opportunity, they thought, to seize that moment and to kill Saul and declare David as king. I tell you, there are many times in which God's providence is misread. Marrying a person that the scriptures would forbid us to marry. But rationalizing. If God didn't want us to be married, he would never have allowed these feelings to have de developed. He would not have brought this person into my life. If God didn't want us to get married, that person would never have said yes. You get the idea. It's as absurd as saying, I've always wanted a Corvette. 
And as you walk by that Corvette, all of a sudden you see that there are keys in the ignition. This must be God's answer to prayer. This must be God's provision for me. Here is this brand new Corvette with the keys in it. How can it be more clear? Take it. It's yours. That's what you've always wanted. Well, it's absurd. It's absurd. But yet it's amazing. The absurd conclusions that people come to simply because of the circumstances that they are in. And attributing the circumstance itself as a reason for going against all we know to be true concerning the scriptures. You get the idea. Well, how did David properly read the providential working of God? For David, this is going to turn out to be a test. God had not given Saul into David's hands so that he could do whatever he wanted to do to Saul. The first thing we see is that David was convicted of acting wrongly in simply cutting off a portion of Saul's robe. David became convicted, verse 5. And afterwards, that is after he cut off a part of Saul's robe, and afterward, David's heart struck him. Struck him. Why? Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. But his heart struck him. There are a number of different Hebrew words for the word to smite or st- strike. This is the strongest of them all. David said, my heart slayed me. My heart convicted me. I have come to the conclusion I'm worthy of death. This was no small thing. David said, I should die for having cut off a part of Saul's robe. Pretty dramatic. Pretty dramatic. Incredibly strong. But David believed in his heart that he committed an act worthy of death. Verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he's the Lord's anointed. Then David explains to his men that the Lord had forbidden him to act as he had. David responded to God's providence by submitting himself to act in accordance with his duty before God. We must ask ourselves, why did men consider the anointed to be inviolate, to be kept from attack, to be preserved from any degradation? The answer lies in the fact that once anointed, the individual was set apart or consecrated to God. A specific bond was established in relation to, to God in separating from men and women a, in general and from the common aspects of life in particular. Hence, to touch, defile, and attack the anointed one was to approach the Lord himself and to defile him and remove the Lord from his rightful place. This was God's anointed. This was the one that God had set aside. This was God's man. 
And he had no right to interfere with what God was doing. He had no right to enter into the privileges that belonged to God at all. And so in putting off a part of this garment, he now saw himself as raising his hand and fist against God. He revolted against God, not Saul. And he says, I'm worthy of death. That's how seriously he took it. The outcome to David's own submission to God is first that he dissuaded the men from implementing their ungodly response. Verse 7. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. So he reigned over his men. He said, you're wrong. You're wrong. We don't have any right to kill Saul. And as a result of God's submission, excuse me, of David's submission to God, Saul's life was spared. The end of verse 7. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Application? We can properly read the providence of God through our faithful commitment to the scriptures and our Christian duty. Whenever we find ourselves in a circumstance, we must ask ourselves, what does God's word say as to how I need to conduct myself? What does God's word teach me about my Christian duty? How must I respond to this particular situation? And not allow my desires, my wants for revengeance, or my lust for possessions, or any other sinful desire to be justified because of the circumstances that we are in. The circumstances that we are in never justify our going against what the Word of God teaches us to do. Any reading of providence that says, this is God's will for you, based on this circumstance, indeed is not God's will for you. It is a test. It is a test. It is an opportunity to respond to the situation in which God has led you in a proper and godly commitment to our Lord and our Christian duty. So the right way to read God's providence is to always respond in a godly way. Now we look at how Saul read the providential working of God. After Saul leaves the cave, David shows great respect to Saul. And afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage, which means honored Saul. Could not even look upon him. David felt disgraced. 
by the way that he had acted toward Saul. What humility. But because he'd acted against God. Now David, from a distance, confronts Saul and says, verse 9, And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? He says, I know there are people telling you that I'm out to get you. But why in the world do you listen to them? Why do you pay heed to this nonsense? This people that are feeding you garbage that I'm out to get you. Now, David invites Saul to contemplate God's providence. To look at God's invisible hand. He says to Saul, now, think about what God has done here. Verse 11. Excuse me, verse 10. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. Today it's apparent that God placed your life in my control today. You just didn't wander into that cave by yourself to go to the bathroom. This is God at work. This was God giving you into my hand. This was God saying, David, you've got a responsibility here. And the reason that God did so was so that David could show that he indeed was not out to get Saul. He was not out to seek him. Notice verse 11. I'll read the whole verse. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hurt my life to take it. David's grievance was sin was against God, not Saul. And he said, so that you may know, without a shadow of a doubt, that God had given me an opportunity, if I were to take it, that you'd be dead. Look at your garments. See that it's missing. If I could have taken a portion of your garment, I could have taken your life. But he didn't. He did not take Saul's life, despite the fact that Saul is trying to take David's life. Notice the end of verse 11. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Though you were out to kill me, I'm not out to kill you. And though you're out to kill me, I'm not going to take vengeance upon you.
Instead, David will leave the dispensing of justice to God. Notice verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. David is willing to entrust this to God's care. David was anointed to be the next king. Saul was anointed to be king now. And David said, I'm not going to rush ahead of God. I'm not going to make a judgment. I'm not going to justify my actions. I'm not going to declare that I'm righteous because of what you've done to me, and it gives me the right to kill you just because you're out to get me. He says, God can handle all that. God will judge between you and me. God will make this right. But that's not my decision to make. David refuses to sin against God. God's providence would not justify that. Verse 13. As the proverb of the incident ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Saul had not given prior to this any respect or acknowledged the value and worth that David had been to Saul. Saul had, David had been this mighty warrior. David had killed Goliath. David had delivered the children of Israel from the Philistines. Had a song chanting, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. David had been faithful. David had been Saul's servant. And Saul never showed any respect to David and even attributed evil motives to David, saying that he was out for the kingship. That was verse 14. And whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? Am I nothing to you? Doesn't my life mean anything? Are you so blind to what God has done? And once again, David will have God determine what should be done to Saul. Verse 15. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. God is going to watch over me. God is going to spare me. You are never, ever going to take my life, David says. I don't need to take it. I don't need to preserve my life I sin against God. I don't need to take steps to protect me that would violate the clear word of God. I will have none of it. I will have none of it. The reaction is that Saul is immediately moved. Verse 16. And soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, it was immediate. Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Wept. He was convicted. 
He knew that he was in the wrong. Saul acknowledges his sinfulness. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. For you have repaid me good, for I have repaid you evil. David, you're more righteous than I. When you did good, I repaid you with evil. When I did evil, you repaid me with good. Saul acknowledges that God's providence in the situation, verse 18. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord has put me into your hands. Saul acknowledges the reality of God at work here. He says, Yes, it is true. God has placed you in, God has placed me into your hands. And Saul commends David for his behavior in verse 19. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. He says, David, you've acted in an unusual way. If a man finds his enemy, is he going to let him go away? This was proof. Proof that David did not view himself to view Saul as his enemy. Saul viewed David as the enemy. That's not how David viewed Saul. And Saul acknowledges for the very first time that David will be king. And now behold, verse 20, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. This is the first time that Saul is going to admit his unrighteousness and his unworthiness to be king. God had said it to him time and time and time again through the prophet Samuel. He had pointed out repeatedly Saul's unrighteousness. But it meant nothing. It just rolled off his back. But this day, God chooses to work in the heart and life of Saul through David's actions and testimony. Or, this is something that Saul could understand. This is something that Saul could relate to. He marvels that if God were to place an enemy into your hands, who's going to let him go? But you did. You acted in a way that I would never act. It belongs to you. Saul then pleads for his family, verse 21. Swear to me, therefore, before the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. David, swear to me that when I'm no longer king, that you're not going to kill off all my, fam all my family. David agrees to Saul's request. And of course, David already had made that promise to Jonathan earlier. 
verse 22. And David swore this to Saul. And now depart from each other, verse 22. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Application. We can properly read the providence of God through following the godly examples of others. People who are in a situation similar to ours or one that we can readily relate to. Saul could understand the difference between him himself and David by the way that David acted towards this providential act. The choices that David made when Saul was in that cave. It was a moment of truth. It was a moment of testing. And Saul says, David, you certainly, you certainly acted in a way I wouldn't. A good way of reading the providence of God is following other people's godly example. What have I seen other godly Christians who are committed to the word of God, who are dedicated to doing God's truth, how have they reacted in a situation like this? What can I learn from them? How can they guide me in my response? How can I show forth a dedication to glorify God? They did not choose to sin. They chose to respond in a godly way. That can help bring conviction to others. That can help to bring understanding of what it means to persevere and honor God before one's own selfish desires. It's a unique opportunity to shine forth as a light and to aid others so they do not sin and that evil is not done. David had Risen to the moment, he had taught his men the truth that God had not said, here is your, this man is yours to do whatever you want, in the sense that you are to kill him. No, he said, God forbids that. That's not right. I'm not going to kill him, and you're not going to kill him either. No, no. God's given him in my hand so that I might be able to prove to the soul. But I'm really not out to get him. That all this garbage that everybody's telling him isn't true. David is not his enemy. Conclusion. First, we must guard against reading the events of God's providence in a way that they might in any way be viewed as God's leading us or enabling us to fulfill our sinful desires. Never justify sin by the circumstances that we are in. The right response to any circumstance is to yield ourselves to what the scriptures teach and to fulfill our Christian duty. So, we can properly read the events of God's providence by our faithful commitment to the scriptures and to our Christian duty. It's not really all that hard to know what we should do 
in any given circumstance if we're willing to do it. And thirdly, we can properly read the events of God's providence through the godly example of others. People who have been in similar circumstances and that have used them to justify a sinful response or to use it as an excuse, but rather who, with great discernment, a great love for God, a love that David is convicted of, of even just cutting off a garment of Saul, saying, honestly, before God, I'm, I'm worthy to die. This was hideous. How could I have done this? He thinks of himself in that way. He says, it's not right. It's not right. And in believing that it wasn't even right to cut off Saul's garment, it kept him from taking Saul's life. Integrity in the small things will guard us from sinfulness in the large things. We'll have a heart that is tender and wants always to glorify him. And we'll take seriously the smallest things will preserve us from the great things. We can properly read the events of God's providence through the godly example of others. May God enable us. May God help us. May God give us the wisdom in the circumstances of our lives to respond to God a godly way out of a commitment to the scriptures and a faithful fulfilling of our Christian duty. And may we be examples to others. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace. Lord, there are circumstances in our lives that you bring to us. And they are tests. Tests to know how will we respond to this circumstance? What will we do in this instance? How will we react? There are so many voices that tell us what to do. Godly voices and ungodly voices. And unfortunately, sometimes the ungodly voices are more and louder than the godly voices. That does not appear that anyone initially thought like David thought. But he knew. He knew his duty. He knew his word. And did not think of the injustices that were committed against him. Did not think of the person of Saul and what he had done. But simply realized that it was not in his place. This was in God's jurisdiction. And that God would do what is right. He simply must do what he knows to be right in response to God. Be obedient. And Lord, here is just one example of how our obedience can be such a testimony to others. How it can bring conviction. 
how it can show the way, how it can provide direction, how it can change hearts, how it can bring about repentance, and how by God's grace, examples can be set how to conduct oneself before God. May God help us in our reading of God's providence. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.